religious or not, and uh, in all cultures, uh, we get married, right? This is a part of our human existence that we do this. I feel like it's pretty interesting that we all do this. It's not just driven by religion or anything. It's people want to get married and be together. And as you think about that, I think it reveals something that we really uh, don't get married just because we have nothing else to do or we want to be stressed or busy or whatever. But what we actually get married for is to be connected. We don't want to be alone. So we want to get married. We want to be together. We don't want to be alone. We have these hopes and dreams that we're going to come together and it's going to be awesome. Then we're going to start a family maybe and all these things and we feel like we won't be alone anymore. Here's a pretty great quote I wanted to read. It's from a seminary professor. He says this. He says, people get married with a picture in their minds of a perfect marriage. Then after a few trials, they discover they aren't married to a perfect picture, but an imperfect person. When this realization occurs, they will either tear up the picture or they will tear up the person. That's pretty good. When that starts happening, I think it's actually harder to tear up your picture, your image, your kind of perception of what you thought marriage was going to be. It's actually harder to tear up that idea. It's a lot easier to start tearing up that person. And we see this happen in marriage. It just like happens. And that's why I felt that this month we should talk about what I think happy couples really know. Uh, And there's a few things that come to mind. First of all, this idea that we get married for connection, that that's our real happy. It's not the money, right? That's not going to keep you together or make you ultimately happy. It'll maybe get you by for a little while, right? It's it's not having nice stuff. It's not uh, just even trying to uh, meet each other's expectations and, okay, you're happy with this and I'm happy with this. You cook really good. You make a lot of money. Whatever it may, whatever it may be is we want to be connected. And then secondly, to recognize that we walk into marriage with all kinds of expectations. And we kind of hand these to our spouse And now it's kind of their job to do all these things. It's their job to fit into our picture of marriage. That's pretty awful. It's awful to be on the receiving end of that, okay? And then last week talking about, well, what do you actually do without those desires, those hopes, those dreams we have in marriage? Well, we go to God with these first and we upload to God all of our anxiety, all of our worries, all of our cares, all these things we want out of marriage. We first go to God instead of just dumping and unloading this on our spouse. I also felt like we should do this because this isn't just about your marriage, it's about the marriages that are around you. Typically we don't sometimes pay attention to what's going around us. So you know, we worry about just our own and me and mine and kind of thing and we recognize that this is part of the reason why Suffering continues because we are not there to help those marriages around us. And if you're not married, this is so helpful for you. To Anybody who's married will tell you, boy, if I had just learned a few more things or if I thought through a few of these things or if I heard, knew this when I was years ago, if, uh, when I first got married, this would be so good for our marriage, okay? And I want you to be able to have this inside of you as you're considering to get married one day, all right? Well, today, we're gonna talk about an issue that comes up in all marriages, every single marriage, and that issue is authority and control. That happens in every single marriage that ever has happened, okay? Authority, control, okay, who's in charge here? Who's the boss? 
Who's actually going to get their way? When there's a disagreement, right, who's going to win that? Who's going to get their way? Who should be the one being listened to? Whose needs maybe get put above somebody else's? In those moments, right, who is actually in charge? These oftentimes come up after you get married. Because in that dating phase, before you get married, you are okay with not getting your way often. You're okay with, okay, well, I'm not just going to talk about that. It's not that big a deal. I'm, we're so in love. I want to be happy. I want you to be happy. And we just kind of toss that to the side, right? And then when we get married, that's when the pressure is on, on what to do when you have that argument. And as the years go by, I think the pressure kind of escalates. It intensifies. Wait a second. We got to talk about this. Who gets their way? Who's in charge? How do we navigate these waters, Okay. I think that there's got to be a better way than just some of the ways that we've come up with on how to handle this. Here's some of the ways we've come up with. One is compromise. We've heard this. Um, hey, let's compromise in our marriage. Maybe that's a marriage advice you've heard. Uh, maybe you've read that somewhere. Maybe you just kind of realize, well, that's how I deal with conflict in the workplace. Let's compromise. Or my siblings, hey, let's compromise. Let's, let's go 50-50, okay? So 50% of the time you get your way and 50% of the time I get my way. Or if you got X, Y, Z, then I need to make sure and get X, Y, Z, or you owe me, or it's not fair. And in the moment when you feel like somebody's doing, that you are doing 51%, that's where you get into an issue, okay? That's compromise, 50-50, whatever the issue may be. We're not looking at who's in charge. We're just saying it's going to be fair, right? Everything's going to be fair here. We're going to split everything up. Okay, these chores I do, these chores you do, the money, everything is all 50-50. No conflict here. We compromise. Another way that we handle this is we go captain mode. I'm the captain of this ship, okay? So when I put my foot down, figuratively speaking, right, that's it. Discussion's over. I'm the captain. I may listen, okay, to some input or some suggestions, but I'm the captain of this ship, right? And so it's going to be, at the end of the day, my decision, Hey, don't get uncomfortable when you start thinking, yeah, that's me, that's how we, okay, just hang with me, okay? We go captain mode. And I think typically uh, in a lot of marriages, we have someone that really loves to be captain, okay? <laughs> I love being captain. I just go right into captain mode. But that is how we address some of these conflicts that come up, the control, the issues, the authority. Well, I mean, I'm in charge. I'm the captain here. Something else that... Some people do, maybe different parts of uh, the time that you're married or maybe different marriages are this way that um, they'll go the route of just complying. Have you ever had this feeling of like, it's, I'm tired of fighting. This is not good. I will just say yes so I can just sit here in peace, right? I just want to sit in this car, right, and not argue. I'm just going to comply. As I look at this, this is so much better just to comply. You ever felt that? Or maybe you're the captain and you've kind of felt like, well, if I put the pressure on, he or she will give in. I kind of know that's their thing. So how you work this out and how you address this is just comply. And honestly, in a lot of ways, that makes sense. I want to keep this thing together. I don't want to keep fighting. I want to just eat my meal in peace. I'm just going to comply with the decision or the wants of the other person. Okay? Something else we do is we conform to that person. 
A little bit different than comply. Comply is I'm going to say yes and go with it for X, Y, Z reasons, right? Conformity is I'm now going to start changing who I am and what I think, and I actually think that, yeah, right, he or she says this is the way it is, and I'm going to comply, and this is who I am, and I'm going to turn into this. You comply into this. Now, I know you're thinking about some marriages, not your own maybe. You know, yeah, I've seen all this. this, is, this is, I've seen this totally happen. See, these are actually strategies for staying together. They are. They're strategies for surviving this thing called marriage and together, right? This is survival. I actually just, the problem with this, I actually don't think that this is going to ultimately bring closeness in your marriage. Go back to the beginning. Why do we get married? For connection, for closeness. And so we go to all these different routes to address this problem, to be fair, and all those different things. But then what happens is we draw apart. I found also that those, those type options for, solu- for the solution is personality-driven. It's really hard for someone who doesn't have that kind of captain traits or personality to kind of be captain. Then it turns into one spouse saying, go do this. Can't you do this? Can't you, right? Or it goes into someone who maybe isn't as aggressive and just gets run right over, right? It's oftentimes personality-driven, And as I look at this, I recognize that these things actually don't bring closeness in a marriage. And there's got to be a better way. I think those options we kind of do out of obligation. Well, people say marriage is hard, so this is just what I got to do. I got to say yes to her or him because this is, otherwise it's not going to work out. There's going to be problems. We're not going to stay together. I'll just fill in the blank, compromise, captain, um, conform, or just comply. And I have to believe that when you were at the altar, wherever you got married, you weren't looking forward to captain. You weren't looking forward to changing who you are. You weren't, you weren't looking forward to the conformity of, of being the yes man or woman in that relationship. I have to believe that in that moment, this was not your deepest, greatest hopes for marriage and for that relationship. But oftentimes we will default into this to keep it going. That leads to dissatisfaction. I believe there is a better way, and I want to talk about that tonight. Would you be open maybe tonight, and really, hopefully you were over these past three weeks, to consider taking your picture of marriage and tearing it up instead of tearing that person up, you know? Could you just be open to maybe something a little bit different that could tear up that picture, that locked-in thing of, okay, marriage is compromised. Marriage is somebody's got to be in charge. Marriage is, I mean, can you just work on that just a little bit to consider that maybe there's a better way for you to bring connection in your marriage and better closeness, all right? I'm going to read this passage, and then um, I'm going to talk about a few things and kind of bring this all together at the end, okay? It's from Ephesians chapter 5, and uh, we read this uh, a couple Sundays ago as well, and I feel like this is a pretty great chapter on marriage, so we're going to talk about this, and I want to encourage you with a different way than we typically default to. Okay, Ephesians chapter 5, this is Paul writing in verse 1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I'm going to fast forward here. Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Well, that's easy enough. Let's go home and we're good. All right. That's easy enough. I mean, just quote that to each other and put each other in their proper place, you know, don't raise your hand, but has your spouse ever said to you, you need to submit? Right? Has your spouse ever said to you, you need to like be the head and get up here, do something? You, or you need to love me and pay attention to me, right? You, you're missing out on what you're supposed to be doing, and this is why that's the problem with our marriage, right? Well, first of all, it's interesting in this passage that it was never supposed to be used as a weapon, and it was never intended for you to get something out of your spouse. It was never intended for you to go in the offensive, offensive with. It was actually intended for you to be looking introspectively about. But oftentimes when we quote this, we are going after somebody. Isn't that interesting? I've never done that. I'm just saying some people do that, okay? All right, here's a couple things. Oh, I'm gonna keep going. So husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present herself, her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. All right, let's talk about a couple things here in this passage. Okay, first of all, when you read that passage, the first thing we think is this is a passage on marriage, right? It is a passage primarily not on marriage. This is a passage that is in a secondary way applied to marriage, but the passage is the scripture here, what Paul's trying to intend here is actually about this incredible love of Christ that once you engage, your life changes, and so if you happen to be married, that just changed, right? This is not just a passage on marriage. It is, I think, in a secondary way, applied to marriage. But this is really about the incredible love of God in which you encounter and you embrace in your life so that now everything in your life changes. And so here's marriage. Let me, let me say that again, okay? When you look at this passage, most often we run to it as a weapon for marriage or as a position for marriage or explain those things, but that's a secondary application. The first application is to consider this passage is about the incredible love of God. And as a person of faith, someone like Paul, who's not married when he's writing about this. Have you ever gotten married advice from somebody who's not married? It's awful. No, I'm kidding. Think about that for a second. May not be, a, he potentially could have been married before, but he's not going marriage expert here. He's speaking from his, I'm a follower of Jesus, no scripture, had an encounter with Jesus and saw him and believe in the resurrected Lord and this incredible message of hope and life and healing. That's the expert background from which he's sharing in this passage. You have to get that point. That's the first part of this passage, okay? Then he applies it to marriage, okay? Secondly, there's a lot of different views on marriage from a scripture standpoint. And I think that you can argue a lot of different perspectives in regard to this word head, right? That the husband is the head of the wife, okay? So I think that you've got to kind of do your own research, I think, in some ways, and I'm going to kind of give you mine today. Um, over the years, I think I've changed my view of this, Okay? Uh, typically, it had been uh, my understanding that uh, that word head was related to authority, 
right? To be the master, the chief, the ruler. And so typically whenever I read this, it was, you know, applying and thinking of this concept of me as the head of my home, if you've ever heard that before, uh, the head of my marriage, the head of my wife, right? So we hear in this terms of authority, right? And so I kind of like that because I like captain mode, frankly, right? My wife's not here, so I can say, I love captain mode. I pretty thrive in captain mode just fine, you know? And so I realized over the years that it just, that never stuck with me well, because not just from an interpretive standpoint, but just considering Christ's love and really what this passage is about, it just doesn't really fit well. And there's different ways to view this. Again, you may have your own view on this. There's different views of, uh, of what people think that Christian marriage is, but this is where I have now leaned towards, okay, that I believe that word head doesn't mean authority, like chief ruler that maybe you're accustomed to using in a phrase. Hey, I'm the head of the, I'm the boss. I'm the head of the home. I'm the head of my workplace. I'm the, when we think head, we think authority. Another way to use that word head could have been in the term of source or beginning or from. So if Paul's writing this and he's writing to this culture of, that has marriages and has homes, okay, uh, there's other words he could have used for Authority. There's other Greek words that he could have used for authority or being, being the master or the ruler or the chief, okay? He doesn't do that here. Also in this passage, um, he is writing to a Roman culture. And in the Roman culture, they considered, it was a law, part of their law, they considered that the man, the husband, was the ultimate authority and power in their home. So they would view their wife and their children and their slaves all as their property and they're the ultimate captain, the ultimate authority. That is what's happening, right, in this world that Paul writes to. So I read that and I consider, if that's the case, right, this doesn't really fit. Like, the love of God is so out of this world, so incredible, so divine, so mysterious, so un, totally un, you can't grab it, wrap your mind around this whole thing, right? And then you take it into marriage and who you are as a spouse, right? And then you're just going to go exactly what the culture says? It doesn't fit to me in the passage. Like, that doesn't fit. So for me, as I interpret this passage, I can no longer use that word head in terms of I'm the head of my home or the head of my wife. Right? I don't think I can. I don't equate those two as I'm the authority, I'm the master, I'm the captain, I'm the ruler of my wife or my home. Okay? Like from an interpretive standpoint, I, I can't do that. I think the word head there, you, you can um, use the word source as a definition that in that context, that could be uh, your, your husband should be a source to your wife of the incredible love and care of God. I actually also believe that if you stick with the authority, the authority definition, I'm the head of the home, I'm the head of you, listen to me, right? That is actually easier than me being this incredible source of the love and care and the reflection of the love of God to you. This is actually easier because I can get the whip out, right? I can make this thing happen, right? I could just embrace this and do this. But this, loving and being a source of love and care and the reflection of Christ, that's so much harder. It requires so much more of me. Oh, my goodness, it requires so much more of me. 
like every part of me. And I think that fits better into this passage about his intro saying, follow God's example. I don't think God's example is cracking the whip in this way. That's the easy thing for me. Personally speaking, that's the easy thing for me to do, right? I'm a, I have a captain personality, you know? It's harder to surrender. It's harder to love in such a way, okay? Secondly, uh, love is putting the other person first. If this passage is about love, then we have to consider this, that love in such an incredible way that you can put this other person first and thinking of Jesus' example, to give his life, to suffer, to give his life. Think about that, Uh, to, to, to do this, and also to realize that not everybody is going to return it. I, you, you're going to sacrifice yourself. It's going to hurt. And not everybody's going to give that back to you. It's just going to be some. Think about the risk involved in this love act, right? And so love in this passage is putting the other person first without really knowing or making it happen to where they're going to give it back to you. See how this is so much harder? Let's talk about Submission. It's interesting in this passage that when you get to the portion about um, wives submitting to your husbands, um, that word submit, uh, when I just put it up there, you know, I might actually go back and put it up there so I can show you again. Verse 21, right, submit to one another. Verse 22, wives submit to yourselves. This is eye-opening for me. So this is written in Greek. Typically whenever I preach, I go through every verse and all the Greek words to kind of see what's going on. And in verse 22, that word submit is actually not in the Greek text on any of them, right? So we get the Bible from many Greek copies and manuscript, copies of these manuscripts that Paul wrote. We have many copies. And that word submit is actually not in verse 22. This is eye-opening for me, right? It's in verse 21, submit. But in verse 22, it is actually inferred, and most of us as we write this, and it would make sense that if it's in verse 21, well, then it's going to be in verse 22. But the word submit is actually not there. So what's happening here is verse 21 is the key verse there, okay? But I don't think we quote that very often for those of us who like to quote this to our wives. We don't quote 21 and 22. Let's go with 22, okay? (laughs) That word submit's actually not in verse 22. It's inferred from verse 21. So here's the power of verse 21. Submit to one another. So in that moment, be careful before I start telling me, telling my wife to submit to me. That's, a, that's not there in, in 22. And in verse 21, it's together. It's to one another, okay? I also want to highlight the word submit. We, you know, we uh, can turn, use that example of, you know, when you're an MMA fighter in the octagon, right? Somebody needs to tap out. Ultimately, you're submitting to that person, right? You're just submit. Let me tap out of this. I'm going to submit my will, submit to you, right? That idea of submit is a willful submission. It's a willful putting another first, okay? It is, it's a willful. It's not a coerced. It's not captain mode. It's not being on the other side of compliance mode. It's not on the, uh, being on the other side of conformity mode. That is not submission. That's not what God wants. It's not the application of God's incredible love that Paul is applying to marriage. That may survive your marriage. Your marriage will survive through that. I've seen it survive. Comply, conform. But it is not the idea of submission in this passage. 
willful. So willful that there isn't the resentment there. So willful that you don't expect anything in return. So willful that you do it with a smile to put the other person first. It's to put the other person in the first place willfully. And so you may have experienced and maybe the marriage growing up that you had, that mom or dad, somebody put somebody in submission. Nobody can put you into submission. They can't. They can coerce you. They can force you. You can be their slave. But nobody can put you into submission. It's something that has to come from you. And so the beauty of this passage is that we, don't, we have the gridlock of marriage. But in this passage, that gridlock is gone. And it turns in this beautiful thing of the willful desire to put someone else in a higher or first place. Now that is the idea that God desires. It's a pretty great quote from Andy Stanley. When I was single, I never daydreamed about being perfect for someone. I daydreamed about someone perfect for me. I am guilty of that fact. I can't remember how many times I thought about the woman I was going to marry and how this and that and this. Anybody have a list? Then you like hope and pray for that list to happen, right? I mean, we, out of our need of loneliness, out of the pain maybe of our family of origin, we will go into the mode of escaping that and hoping that one day I'm gonna get a spouse that's not what I've seen. I'm gonna get a spouse to finally fix me. We don't say it that way. But I'm finally gonna get a spouse to make me happy. So we go into marriage and we hand somebody our expectation box and say, here you go, this is gonna be real fun for you, right? When I was single, I never daydreamed about being perfect for someone. I daydreamed about someone perfect for me. This is so powerful because the idea of daydreaming of somebody perfect for you is not Ephesians chapter five, right? So here's the truth of what happy couples know. Okay, this is what happy couples know. Happy couples, they submit to each other's hopes, desires, and dreams. It's mutual submission to each other's wants and desires and dreams and hopes, okay? It's that feeling that somebody loves you so much that they would take all this stuff that you desire and want and love And instead of trying to change that or make you say yes to what they want, it's saying, listen, that, all that, I want to know about. And what that does is it just brings you closer to that person. It brings you closer to that person, the mutual submission. Loving in such an incredible way that you would willfully Without being coerced, without feeling guilty. Well, I want my marriage to work, so I'm gonna do whatever it takes to be a yes person because I want to ruffle the feathers. I don't rock the boat. That's not it. Happy couples know they submit to each other's hopes, desires, dreams, needs. You can put all the above. Mutual submission is marriage. Mutual submission is marriage. It is not 
my, my interpretation, it is not the man as the head of the home, the authority, the ruler, that then the women, the woman, the wife gets to come and come aboard and, and, and just submit to that and just, or be coerced into that and just, this is just a beautiful marriage where you just listen to me. FYI, that doesn't work anywhere. When your boss tells you, if you just listen to me, <laughs> you know, I'm sure you love that, right? This isn't working really any relationship. We bring this into our marriage and we wonder why we are distant and unhappy and we're not getting ultimately what we wanted, okay? Secondly, your marriage could be something more. It could be something more than 50-50. It could be something more than just getting through the day. It could be something more than just the task list we've got to go through. You know, and I'm in a family mode. We've got two newborns and two older ones and we are just... To get through the day is a work list. It's a task list, right? I mean, it, 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 this marriage thing better be more than just roommates, right? This, this marriage thing better be more than me getting some what I want half the time. I mean, that's not bad, <laughs> right? But it could be something more. It could be actually a window to heaven. It's supposed to be this incredible witness to all people around you, especially your kids, if you have kids or want to have kids one day, especially your kids about how Christ loves the church. It could be so, I mean, something so much more. And in that relationship, your kids, those people around you, your coworkers who hear about your marriage, all that see your marriage, in the faith community here that see your marriage, they could actually find hope in God. That I could be loved so much. Heaven comes down in that marriage. And for people who say they can't see God and so they don't know that God exists, if they could see the way you love that man, if they could see the way you love that woman, if you could see the way that you submit to each other and put each other ahead of each other and it turns into a submission competition, that's the beauty of marriage and your marriage could be something so much more than compliance or conformity or the captain or, or, or compromise. That's what I wanted when I got married. I know that's what my wife wanted too. You could look back through many years of marriage and you look back and you could say, man, where would we go wrong here? This is the path forward. This is the path to connection. This is the path when all the kids go home and you're empty nesters, you guys still want to hang out. It's kind of this a statistic that oftentimes married couples, uh, they break up when the kids grow up and leave the home and go to college or whatever because at that point they realize, uh-oh, our whole marriage, our 18 years of fighting these kids to do X, Y, Z, that became our whole marriage. And now the reason why we were together is now gone. Why are we even together? Say, why? Instead of considering, this is like the best thing I could have in my life. This person that loves me and is there for me. And so how, what, what does this look like? It looks like your grit for their glory. I heard this recently, a couple months ago, I found it so powerful. Not related to marriage, but this is how I apply it to marriage. You guys know the word grit? Just think about your day-to-day -day if you're married, okay? <laughs> you know, if you're looking to get married one day, it's awesome, it's happy, but it's hard, there's grit. 
And this will unlock closeness and a life of this marriage that God ultimately wants. It's a window to heaven, a window to him, a window to his heart. It's your grit, your hard work, the pain of it. There is a cost in what I'm talking about. The cost for Jesus was his life. The cost for Jesus was humiliation. The cost for Jesus was physical pain. The cost for Jesus was betrayal by his closest friends. There is grit in marriage. And it's amazing because it's for the glory of somebody else. And in this mutual submission is this deep relationship that 50-50 never could get to. This deep connection that, that the captain mode will never get to. It's this deep connection that goes deeper than what the outside. Well, they never argue. They're the perfect couple. They never argue. They may never argue, but they're not close. Just because they don't argue doesn't mean they don't got problems. Just because they're still married doesn't mean they don't have problems. Right? It's actually your grit for their glory. Nobody wants to say that in your wedding vows, right? Hey, this is going to be awful for me, but hey, it's going to be great for you. Right? Nobody talks about these things. But when you get into it, and this gridlock starts happening, I know you're thinking, well, no, then he's going to take advantage of me. And if I go this route, she's going to get her way all the time. Okay, total risk here. That's what Jesus did to you. There's no guarantee you're going to do anything back in this relationship to Jesus. Right? Well, then... You know, she's going to get to do these things all the time, or he's going to do these all the time. This doesn't work this way. Listen, it doesn't work in a situation to where you feel like it's fair, but it works for what you actually want out of marriage, this deep relationship, close, that somebody knows me. And I kind of do this thing where I, I pray that I could be the kind of husband for my wife that more than anybody else on this planet, she knows that I love her the most. She can feel that. She knows it, that I put her wants and needs above it, that nobody else on this planet would elevate her needs and wants more than I do. Not a coworker, not a friend, not a best friend. And I encourage all those things, all those, but I, I, that's kind of my goal. And I, it's a struggle because the grit gets in the way. I'm like, man, this is hard. I need a break, right? Oh, I am absolutely trying to do this. How do I do it when I'm exhausted and tired? God, help me, because I believe that God is helping you in this. Here's a question you could ask that'll help build this a little bit, okay? Maybe uh, this is more a, a harder question. Maybe it's gonna be a lot of risk involved, a lot of fear for you to do this, but to actually sit down with your spouse and say, okay, what do you need? What do you want? And then to be quiet. It's so hard in that moment to be quiet because he or she's going to say something, you're going to think about what they're not doing for you. You're going to start thinking about what you need, what you want. And last week what I mentioned, that we should consider God first, that God cares about you. God's in this. God can help you in these areas that all these needs that you have from him, right, that it should go, come from him. And to say, what do you want? Or to even, this is even scarier, okay? To say, listen, when we got married that day, what did you really want? And they may say something that you are f so shocked by. I just wanted somebody to talk to you every night. I just didn't want to be alone, right? Could you begin to submit to one another in such a way to elevate their needs and wants. This is the path forward 
to a closer marriage. Would you stand with me, church? This is so hard because there's so much selfishness in our hearts. Um, we want things to be fair. We feel like people take advantage of us. We, and sure, there's an absolute part of that, right? This is a tough thing. But if you're ever going to get into the kind of marriage that you really want, if you're not married, I, I would just encourage you to consider this, to go into marriage thinking this way, my grit for their glory, and somehow the beauty of that, I experienced something that ultimately I wanted is this close connection in marriage. As you have thought about some things over the last few weeks, I would encourage you to connect with your spouse in this way, to say, what do you want? What do you want? I want to give that to you. I'm here for you. Boy, it's amazing when somebody says that to you. Hey, I'm here for you. I, I got your back here. I want to understand what it's like being you every day. What do you want out of this thing? How can I help? And I, and I know it's like, well, then it's not going to be fair, and I'm going to be doing more than he does or she does. Yeah, absolutely. But if you went that route, 50-50, you're not going to have the marriage that you wanted. Lord, tonight as we consider these tough things that are in our heart, as we consider we get married full of hope, and then we get into it and it starts getting frustrating. We realize that we've got this picture of marriage that just isn't cutting it. Lord, would our faith community, as, a, as a, the people of God, Lord, would we not tear up that, that person, but rather tear up the picture? I'm just praying right now, Lord, as you bring some things to our hearts, that we would be open, God, to the new that you have, to the new that you have. And as we sing these last few songs, this is a moment where you can just get your heart filled up, your heart focused on God, to know he's good, he's there for you, and he's got you, you know. It may be tonight as we enter into this moment, these few moments, that you need to say sorry. And I'll admit, last night, I apologized to my wife last night for the first time in our marriage. No, I'm kidding. I sincerely, heartfelt apologized to her last night. She was so shocked. And I actually apologized to her. And I said, I, there's some things that I brought into this thing of what I pictured. And I'm sorry. That may be what you need to do this week. Would you just be open in these last few moments when you sing these songs? No distractions. Don't look at your phone. Don't bump your spouse if they're sitting next to you about all the things they've got to do, right? Just Holy Spirit, enter this place, I pray, God. Would you enter our hearts in this moment, Lord?